When we see things in the news, like masses of amounts of people fleeing and trying to find safety and security, it is easy to get overwhelmed. But when we open up Matthew 25 and we read these very clear words of Jesus, it is also easy to see what it is that we are called to do. It's not hard to discern. It's not so far off that we cannot reach it. It's very clear. Feed, give water, clothe, invite in, visit, care for these people. And when we do so, we do so unto Christ. This is the call of the church. And because Spark is a young, small, agile church, we can stop our series and we can say, let's respond to what it is that we've been touched on as we look at the news. So, who is a refugee? Refugees, according to the UN High Commissioner on Refugees, are persons fleeing armed conflict or persecution. These are people for whom the denial of asylum has potentially deadly consequences. So let's be clear very quickly. We are not talking about immigrants. We're not talking about migrants. We're not talking about people who simply want to relocate to a different country for purposes of just desire or even an improvement of life. We are talking about people for whom there is no other option but to run from everything they've ever held dear in order to try to preserve their very lives. That is the definition of a refugee. Now, as we look at the Syrian crisis in particular, this is a graph that talks about 1 million refugees as of March 2013. We're now in September of 2015. This crisis has been going on for several years. Uh, Because I have a lot of friends in the Middle East, because I have friends that are working with the Syrian refugees in Jordan, in Lebanon, who have gone into Syria and tried to make a difference there, I've been caring about this issue, posting about it on Facebook, concerned about it, since the beginning of the conflict in the Arab Spring in 2011, when the whole world thought, for sure, Syria, which is beautiful and stable in many ways, won't fall to destruction. But since 2011, massive amounts of killings and death, mostly at the hand of the leaders of Syria, of Assad, all of that has been going on. Now, as a result of that mass destruction, people have been moving out of that area as you would do. When your home gets destroyed by a bomb, you tend to not continue to live there, right? Makes sense? So as people are moving, they've started to try to find different places to go to. Now, Jordan here, it says about 630,000 refugees are being housed in Jordan. But Jordan puts that, that number at 1.4 million internally. That's just who's in the camp. Many people, many Jordanians have opened up their own homes to refugees that are looking for asylum. Lebanon has also extended itself to the breaking point, as Jordan is also now extended to the breaking point of taking in massive amounts of refugees. And when all of these people come, they come with deep wounds, with severe trauma, with massive loss. But they also come with skills. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're educators, they are tech developers, they are civil engineers, and yet they are stuck in camps where there is nothing for them to do but to sit in a tent all day and simply be glad to live one more day. And all of these camps and all of these countries are now being stretched. 
most of the children, many of the children who are fleeing are experiencing severe trauma. Many have never known a single day in their life apart from war. They've been born into war. And this is all that they know. And as we look at this crisis now, as it starts to tip again in 2015, we are now saying, according to World Vision, that it's the worst humanitarian disaster of our time, that there are more refugees impacted 12 million as a result of the Syrian crisis, more than those impacted by Haiti, Hurricane Katrina, Indian Ocean tsunami. We are looking at the worst humanitarian crisis of our time. And all of that seems really big, and we didn't really respond to that, even though we saw it unfolding in 2011, in 2012, in 2013, 2014. And let's be honest, as Americans, we are exhausted by war. It's not been on our shores, but we don't want to see our young men and women having to go to war to far-off countries, to places where we're not quite sure we've done any good. In fact, we're concerned that we've done irreparable harm. And as we look at all that, we kind of just wanted to hope that the things in Syria would calm down themselves, that somehow Assad would respond and see that he was destroying his country and innocent people, that he would stop, that the pressures, the international pressures upon him would make a difference. But it doesn't seem to yet be working. And this last week, a little boy and his brother and his mother all died trying to make passage. And it was in that moment that the world woke up. And we can all be very frustrated and angry that many children whose names we'll never know, whose faces we'll never gaze on, have lost their lives in this conflict, and that the world didn't wake up. But how about we just be thankful that now we have? That one little boy with a complicated story and whose father did his best and I'm sure made mistakes as well as tried to rescue in the, in the most difficult of circumstances that this little boy is now symbolizing all of the children that are dying and all of the parents who are watching their children. If you listen to this father's story, he was trying to push one up and watch the other one go down and then push the other one up and watch the other. And you can imagine this horrific, unspeakable humanitarian disaster because we now have one small child to think of. Statistics can be big. And we, it's hard to wrap our arms around it. But this, now, this one child speaks. And if you're wondering why they fled, it's because this is what their home looks like now. This is not livable. So as we look at the crisis of these refugees flowing in to Europe seeking asylum and seeking shelter. We need to remember what it is that they're fleeing from. These aren't people who are simply asking for a nicer apartment, a better opportunity for employment, health care provided for them. They are fleeing death and destruction. They are fleeing for their very lives. And Syria, if you listen to the Syrians talk about their country, they say it was paradise. This was Syria in 2005, and here it is in 2013, the same street. 2011, 2014. Streets where there was life, there's now just survival. In places where there was beauty, this is the home that people remember, but it's not the home they can return to. It does not exist any longer. It's gone. 
This is the refugee camp in Jordan. Those are all tents, fabricated homes, housing well over 600,000 individuals. You don't move here unless you have no other option. And this photo in particular was taken this week as a massive heat wave sandstorm hit the Middle East and covered all of it. A poet born in Somalia and now a UK citizen wrote a poem called Home. And we'll have copies for you all on your way out. And I'm just going to read the first few lines. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Your neighbors running faster than you, breath bloody in their throats. The boy you went to school with who kissed you dizzy behind the old tin factory is holding a gun bigger than his body. You only leave home when home won't let you stay. No one leaves home unless home chases you, fire under feet. Hot blood in your belly unless it's not something you ever thought of doing until the blade burnt threats into your neck and even then you carried the anthem under your breath. Only tearing up your passport in an airport toilet, sobbing as each mouthful of paper made it clear you wouldn't be going back. You have to understand, no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one burns the palms under trains beneath carriages. No one spends days and nights in the stomach of a truck feeding on newspaper unless the miles travel mean something more than journey. No one crawls under fences. No one wants to be pitied or beaten. No one chooses refugee camps or strip searches where your body is left aching or prison because prison is safer than a city of fire and one prison guard in the night is better than a truckload of men who look like your father. No one could take it. No one could stomach it. No one's skin would be tough enough to hear the go-home, refugees, dirty immigrants, asylum seekers, sucking our country dry with their hands out. They smell strange, savage, messed up their country, now they want to mess up ours. How do the words, the dirty looks, roll off your backs because maybe the blow is softer than a limb torn off or the words more tender than 14 men or the insults are easier to swallow than rubble, than bone, than your body, your child's body in pieces. I want to go home, but home is the mouth of a shark. Home is the barrel of a gun, and no one would leave home unless home chased you to the shore, unless home told you to quicken your legs, leave your clothes behind, crawl through the desert, wade through oceans, drown, save, be hungry, beg, forget, pride. Your survival is more important. No one leaves home until home is a sweaty voice in your ear saying, leave Run away from me now. I don't know what I've become, but I know that anywhere is safer than here. So in the face of all of that, where is the hope? What can we do in light of the largest humanitarian crisis of our time with millions and millions of refugees, with no solution on the horizon, with no hope of return or resettlement, 
it looks like it's just going to get worse and it will take decades upon decades upon decades to solve this problem if it ever gets solved. So where's the hope? Well, I like to do what my favorite thing to do is, is to go back to Mr. Rogers, my hero in my childhood, who always said, look for the helpers. And in the helpers, you find hope. So this week, as we saw horrible, terrible things happening to refugees who had already experienced the scourge of war, who had already watched loved ones die, who had already just become simply numb to the suffering and the inhumanity of it all, we saw them arrive in Germany to songs, to welcomes, to water outstretched, to people taking little bits of clothes and shoes just standing by the side of a road, to the average citizen in Hungary defying the leadership of the government and still extending a humanitarian hand. We saw people loving one another in spite of the magnitude of the disaster. We started to see humanity become a little bit more like the image of God. And this image particularly struck me. This is a picture of a German police officer welcoming a refugee boy. Now, 60 years ago, if you were in Germany, that image of a police officer was only threatening. And Germany itself, the leadership of Germany, interned, created refugees, massively killed millions upon millions of Jews, and Muslims, and gypsies, and Christians, and homosexuals. And, and yet today, in Germany, we see a country who survived that horrible chapter of their own life holding open doors and letting people come in. There's churches that report mass amounts of asylum seekers converting to Christianity. And some are quick to point out that they believe that some of those conversions are motivated by persons who are trying to seek asylum and they believe that being a Christian gives them a better chance of finding a home. But they're every day in church and they're getting baptized and they're listening. One church in Berlin, over 5,000 converts to Christianity. And it looks as though many of those people are quite sincere. We see the church in Berlin, the church in Germany at large, holding open doors and welcoming families in. We see that in Iceland and in Austria and in Switzerland, they've started like an Airbnb for refugees. And it's been overwhelmed with responses of goodness. We've seen here in America, there was a millionaire who decided upon a cruise a few years ago where he and his family were in the Mediterranean they saw a child's parka drifting by, and the ship captain said, that's probably a refugee who's passed. And they thought, we have to do something. So they've basically sold all that they've had, and they have now launched an incredible migrant offshore aid station where they take this boat, a partnering with Doctors Without Borders, and they go throughout the Mediterranean Sea trying to find refugees who are on dinghies who are being smuggled into countries and rescue them before the water engulfs them. A helper, we see a helper. We see some hope. This week, the Chobani founder dedicated half of his wealth, $700 million to the refugee crisis. We see a helper. We see people starting to make a significant, tangible difference. And all throughout social media, we started seeing people and churches and faith communities come together and say, we will welcome refugees. 
it's not easy. It's very complicated. There are a lot of things involved. There's a huge application process. There are important procedures in place that make sure that the United States and our homes remain safe. But we started to see the church become the church again. Acting like the hands and feet of Jesus, stretching out and reaching out to those who need the most help. We started to see beautiful things happen. We heard that the Vatican even is going to be hosting some families. Can you imagine being the refugee families like, uh, okay, I'm in the Vatican now. Like, I just get to live here. Sure. And Pope Francis says this, faced with the tragedy of tens of thousands of refugees fleeing war, death, and hunger who are on their way toward life's hope, the gospel calls us to be near to the smallest and abandoned. So what can we do here at Spark? What is it that we can do? How can we get our hands dirty? How can we, as this beautiful, small, diverse, loving, agile, brilliant, thoughtful, you guys are amazing, I'm talking about you, not me, community here at Spark in Silicon Valley, what can we do? Well, the first thing we can do is we can pray. And we're going to do that tonight. And then we can use our voice, and we'll talk about how to do that. We can speak to our leaders about our compassionate care for these people who are oppressed. We can give to agencies that are making the most significant difference. We'll give to World Vision. And then we can start to search for next steps. So let's talk about these opportunities. First, before we get started, would you join me in prayer? And the way we're going to pray tonight for just a few moments, I'm going to give you each just a moment to sort of take a deep breath and wrap our minds around some of the information and some of the suffering and trying to unite our heart with those who are made in the image of God and who are suffering deep, deep wounds. And then I'll invite us to pray and we'll all together say the words on the screen. Okay? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, when you multiplied the loaves and fishes, you provided more than food for the body. You offered us the gift of yourself, the gift which satisfies every hunger and quenches every thirst. Your disciples were filled with fear and doubt, but you poured out your love and compassion on the crowd, welcoming them as brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, Today you call us to welcome the members of God's family who come to our land to escape oppression, poverty, persecution, violence, and war. Like your disciples, we too are filled with fear and doubt and even suspicion. We build barriers in our hearts and in our minds. Lord Jesus, help us by your grace to banish fear from our hearts that we may embrace each of your children as our own brother and sister, to welcome refugees with joy and generosity while responding to their many needs, to realize that you call all to learn the ways of peace and justice, to share of our abundance as you spread a banquet before us, 
to give witness to your love for all people as we celebrate the many gifts they bring. We praise you and give you thanks for the family you have called together from so many people. We see in this human family a reflection of the divine unity of the most, one most holy trinity in whom we make our prayer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we rejoice in praying the prayer you taught us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We also have a prayer that on the other side of the home poem is a prayer for you to take home and maybe stick on a window in your bathroom or a mirror or someplace in your car and just remembering the refugees as we will continue to have them in our hearts and in great need in our world for many years to come. We will seek to be praying for them. The second thing we can do is we can speak out. Now, I'm all for the funny, amazing, you know, silly video of, you know, the kitten pressing its face against the glass, and that's great. But in all of our social media um, expertise and all that we have here in the valley, let's take everything that we have and start to drive attention to this matter particularly. It means that we're going to start using the hashtag, we welcome refugees, what refugees welcome. We'll start tagging our legislators. We'll start tweeting to the people who are in power, who can make significant decisions. We'll start highlighting articles and videos on our pages so that we can let people know that this issue, that these people are not forgotten. This week in Europe, Syrians who have been resettled there and have been living there created a video together thanking all of humanity for extending themselves. People do know when you care. And I believe that some of the most creative and thoughtful ways in which we can be reaching out into this very difficult conflict, and we were having a vibrant debate earlier with Sparker saying, but this doesn't address the root of the problem. And we're like, yes, no, it does not address the root of the problem. But it does address the needs of the people who are deeply hurting and suffering right now. And we will try to reach them with the love of Jesus and with the actions that Jesus has clearly called us to do. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be on the sheep side of that conversation. And I want to have an experience with Jesus. And the greatest way in which I can have an experience with Jesus is by reaching out to another and loving in his name. And we can do that together as a community. And we can do that on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram because I've been told by the younger generation that Facebook's very passe and Twitter's really not that important anymore. Uh, is a, a sixth grader. Um, but that Instagram's really where it's at. So now I have to open up an Instagram account so I can keep in touch with this kid. Um, so all of that to say whatever it is that you do, LinkedIn, Google+, you have a blog, you have any influence around a holiday table. When you go to Thanksgiving this year, can you stop and say, hey, let's have a conversation about the refugee crisis and maybe for Christmas this year we'll give there at least an addition to the silly 
gifts that we'll also share and enjoy with one another. Finding ways that we can influence people through our, whatever our little bit is. If you're a gajillionaire, you end up buying a boat and going through the Mediterranean Sea. If you work at an office or a company, you will ask, can we get matching funds to meet the Syrian refugee crisis? If you're a pastor, you call the rabbi this week and sit down and say, what can Spark Church and Etz Chaim do together to bring attention to this issue? Can we get our two communities together to take a photo with the hashtag refugees welcome here? Can we get it in the news that Jews and Christians are extending themselves and saying to the American government, we will take in refugee families into our church community, into our synagogue community, and we will try to help them find new life here because we know they don't have a home to go back to. The rabbi was on board, by the way. So we will find new and creative ways to reach out. You can advocate with your leaders. And so on the Spark page by this evening sometime, there will be a page specifically dedicated to how we can respond to the Syrian refugee crisis with all of this information, including a link as to how you can connect to the president, to your congressional leaders, to your local leaders, in order to tell them that we care deeply about this issue, that we need the United States to respond in thoughtful ways that we're ready to partner with churches or with various organizations in Europe, or we're ready to even extend ourselves here in Silicon Valley to figure out how to make a difference for one. We know we can't do it for all. The crisis is overwhelming, but we can do it for one. And I would just like to point you to the direction of Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wounds Dunn's most recent book, A Path Appears. In that book, Nicholas Kristof columnist and author for the New York Times, and really quite an activist for a lot of people who are downtrodden. He tells a story about a refugee, a single refugee who was escaping persecution in Europe, who found one American in the United States who was willing to sponsor him, who brought that person over to the United States, gave him a job, helped him find asylum here, and that was his father. When we extend ourselves, when we love people in deep need of rescue, when we do these things, beautiful stories get written, and generations after generations after generations benefit. And we're all benefiting from the fact that Nicholas Kristoff's father was rescued so that we can have his work and his efforts in our land. And truth be told, we probably all have families that fled persecution at various different times. My family name has been changed. My mom's father, her grandfather, changed his name from his given Irish name to Smith because the persecution was too severe. And they had to flee and come through Canada and down. And now my, gen- my family's been here for five, six generations here in the Bay Area. But we don't have our same name. And I don't still speak French or Irish, anything. So... We all have stories deep in our history where we've had to flee. We can all connect with this story. After using our voice, we can give. Now, it looks, when you go out there, it's so amazing. There are some really incredible organizations, and I encourage you to do some research, whether it's Doctors Without Borders or it's a very specific, the Migrant Aid Station or whatever, Mercy Corps. There's so many organizations out there doing great, wonderful things. But the partner that Spark has chosen has been our ongoing partner whenever there is a crisis, and we also sponsor children through World Vision. We are partnering with World Vision. World Vision 
is incredible with how they take care of our investment. We're connected to this community already. The work of World Vision is connected to the gospel, and it meets the emotional, physical, and spiritual needs of both men, women, of men and women and children in these places. They are already in the refugee camps. They are already creating child-friendly places. One of the things that we can do in order to prevent all of these refugees who are trying to flee into Europe um, and risking their lives to do so we can start to create better spaces for them to be safe. And when World Vision starts to do their work and has been been doing their work in refugee camps, they create child-friendly spaces. They create places where people can um, heal, where they can find hope again, where they can still be educated, where they can contribute back into the community. And there are many organizations doing this. QuestScope is another amazing organization. And in the future, I'm hoping and praying that somebody here at Spark is going to decide the most um, impactful ways that we can respond to this crisis. The United States doesn't bring in very many Syrian refugees. It was just a handful a year ago. I'm not sure that policy is going to change, but we could perhaps partner with the church in Germany that's bringing in those people. We could perhaps be extending ourselves through some other organizations that you have connections with or you have creatively thought about. But for right now, in the most, um, when we have in our hearts still the motive to do so because of the deeply painful look we took into the suffering this last week, We'll move with world vision. Yes, ma'am. 
World Vision has received a grant from USAID, and it will multiply our donations six times. So whatever impact we make, it'll be multiplied six times. So Spark Church has set a goal of $10,000. And I know we're a small church, but I figure you all know lots of people. Someone here knows Mark Zuckerberg. So I'm just joking. Um, So we can do this. And it might not happen this week, and it might not happen this year. Let's let it happen this year. Why not? Let's try. Um, But this is in addition to hopefully maybe what you already give to Spark. We can extend ourselves and try to care for the people in this crisis. This can be our first response. So on Spark's homepage, there's a button, and you can click this button and make a donation specifically to Spark Church's fundraising page on World Vision, and it will take you right here to this page. And you can even, if you have a corporate matching policy, I know Microsoft does and other corporations do, you can click there, and it might even go beyond the six times of the impact that you have. And this will be the first way that Spark can respond tangibly to this need. So whether you have people that know Jesus and love Jesus and deeply love Matthew 23 as their passage, or whether you have people that have no idea who Jesus is, share the need of the refugees. We can all extend ourselves. We can, each one of us, find a way to just do a little. Just do a little to help those suffering most. It takes about $3,800 for World Vision to be able to run a child-friendly, to create and run a child-friendly education space with places for therapy and healing for one month. So a gift of $10,000, we can provide that child-friendly space for three months, just about. Maybe we'll raise a little more. $15 gets a blanket to a refugee. $325 helps a new refugee family that just shows up to have a few basic things as they get settled into a tent. We can find different ways to start to provide just a little bit of education and a little bit of hope for the people that are fleeing the most unspeakable violence of their lives, of our lives. You look at that child and you can tell he'll never be the same for what he's seen. Let's pray that he will also never be the same for the love that is now expressed to him through the power of Jesus Christ through his church that he will always forever be changed because of the love that we can all extend to this little boy, even though he's managing this deep pain and hurt. So we're going to speak out tonight. Here's what we're going to do. Our dear friend, Tanisha, woohoo! she has captured some poster boards and some big Sharpie markers, and we are going to tweet and Facebook. And you are going to, and I'm going to, make signs that say refugees welcome or we refugee, we welcome refugees. And also there is a move on campaign that's trying to lobby Congress and the White House. And it's hashtag America welcomes. And you put your city, we can just write Silicon Valley, you can put exactly yours, saying where refugees would be welcome to. And it's trending all over the web right now, letting legislators know that people in America are deeply concerned about this crisis and that we want to find a way to contribute to aid, whatever that might be. And I just want to say very clearly, I know that this is complicated. I know that it is not easily solved. It's why we've picked such a reputable organization who has such a track record of doing the right thing. One dollar to World Vision ends up producing $1.28 in aid because of all the grants that they get. 
They have the highest rating that you can get for charitable giving for Better Business Bureau. We can trust this organization with our compassion and with our action, with our advocacy. So what I'd like to do is give us all the opportunity to make those signs. You can snap a selfie, put it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is you do. And then if you would be willing to hang out for a couple extra moments, we do have food and coffee. Um, after we make the signs, we're going to try to, we have a ladder. We're going to get up a little bit high and take a photo of all of us out there just for Spark Church. This is our response to this crisis. We can't do everything, but we can pray. We can't do everything, but we can take one stand and speak out tonight and say this little tiny church here in Silicon Valley, we care deeply about you. And I believe that those who are suffering will hear us. I don't know if you saw, but they have satellites, little satellite dishes in the refugee camp. People are still connected. They can see us. They have phones. They know that we care about them. Or they'll know that we don't. They'll know if they've been forgotten or if we've remembered them tonight as we pray. Let me say that as a pastor who gets um, pretty compassionate about the pain and hurt in this world and the great desire that I have to be the hands of feet in Jesus, of Jesus in this world. I want to thank each one of you for being the church with me because I would feel very stuck and like there was nothing that I could do without you. So you've already done something amazing. Now I've guilted you all into making the poster, I know, but um, I really am thankful that we are a community that can respond to this together. And I'm thankful to be one of the members of Spark that gets to be with each one of you as we try to love and care for this world. In the name of Jesus, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we pray for hope. We pray for miraculous solutions. We pray for redemption and rebuilding in the midst of the chaos. We pray, God, that you would be moving on the hearts of those who are causing this massive suffering we pray, Lord, that you would make them weary of the death and destruction that they are causing. We pray, Lord, that you would move them to the table of diplomacy and that we would start to find solutions. For those who are suffering right now, who are cold and hungry and thirsty right now, who are trying to decide which child needs most this next bite of food, we pray, Lord Jesus, that as they are sheltered, sheltering from the violence and from the bombs, that you would be with them. Jesus, we ask sometimes, where are you? And we can be answered that you are here and that you are with them. And maybe the bigger question, Jesus, is where are we? And we want to be with you and we want to be with them. I bless you, Lord, for this community. I bless you that you have poured out such love and compassion and knowledge of you into each heart. And I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified through our efforts here tonight. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.